You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey, guys, welcome back to the show. So I hope that all of your years are winding down nicely. You know, I know it's December and we're all tempted to start making plans for 2019 as if 2018 is already over, right? But I encourage you, and this is what I'm doing myself, to still make this year the best it can be. Still finish strong, okay? It ain't over yet. And whatever that thing is that you said you were going to do that you didn't get around to, start doing it this month. Just work on it a little bit at a time and let's go into 2019 with a routine rather than putting all this pressure on ourselves to start off strong and do everything right on January 1st, January 2nd. Listen, I want January 1st and 2nd to feel relaxed for you, not like a bunch of pressure. So start doing it today. Finish strong. All right. Okay, so let's get into the show. Today in the guest chair is Nicole Gibbons. She is the CEO and founder of Claire. Nicole is an entrepreneur. She's an interior designer, blogger, and on-air personality, best known for her fashion-forward take on personal style expressed through the home. This is actually where I first came across Nicole. I used to follow her blog and then later her social media profiles as I'm someone who I like to dibble and dabble in interior design just as a hobby, though. So I was very impressed when I learned that she had founded her own startup. She is currently bringing her professional experience to life as the founder of the first truly innovative resource in paint, Claire. Claire is essentially paint shopping simplified. Nicole has created an easier way to paint a space you love with premium paint, designer curated colors, and the best painting supplies all delivered to your door. How dope is that? Especially since the idea of of picking out paint colors has always been overwhelming to me. I don't know about you guys. And Nicole was solving for this. She's also been featured in top media outlets such as HGTV, The Rachel Ray Show, Good Morning America, and more. She appeared on the Emmy Award-winning Homemade Simple on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network, for three seasons as a designer helping deserving families reimagine their living spaces. So Nicole was incredibly successful and still is. And she was on this great path, though, when she decided to completely, you know, reinvent her life, pivot and start a whole new company. On today's episode, we will get into what inspired her to pivot and how she got herself prepared to launch, to secure funding and now scale. Let's get right into it. So welcome to the guest chair, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. As I mentioned in your intro, I have been a follower for some time since you were an interior design blogger. And, you know, when you released and made the announcement about Claire, I was just so excited. Like the idea that you can reinvent yourself in life is like the biggest thing to me. So in your own words, give us a little peek into the life of Nicole. Who are you and what are you doing today? So I'm Nicole Gibbons, and I'm an interior designer. I'm from Detroit. I grew up really passionate about interior design. My mom was in the business. And so um, uh, sort of unbeknowingly, I, I never really set out to work in the design industry, but I 
always sort of shifted my hobbies in that direction. And all of my biggest career moves have really um, revolved around my passion for design. Um, so I started out, as you mentioned, with an interior design blog. I started that blog while I was working a day job, working in PR in the fashion industry. Um, and, you know, at the time I started the blog strictly as a creative outlet with no real agenda, but the, the, the process of writing that blog and immersing myself in the design community really, really ignited my passion for design in a way that um, led me to want to shift careers. So then my next move after working in PR was um, launching my own interior design firm. I had been doing some side hustling uh, while working in PR, uh, taking on small projects. But um, when I started doing all of that, it was during the recession. And so I wanted to wait until it was a better time economy-wise to, to go out on my own. And so um, I launched my design firm full time in January of 2013. And so over the past, you know, four or five years, I've just been building that business, building my persona as a design expert and a TV personality. And then for the past year and a half, I've been building Claire, which is a new, better way to buy paint. We're a brand new direct-to-consumer paint company. Um, we sell premium paint. We have these really easy peel and stick color swatches. So it's easier than dealing with the messy sample pots from the, the big box store. Um, and we also sell all the tools that one would need to paint with. So essentially we give customers everything they need to tackle their paint project with confidence. And in addition to all of our physical products, we have a ton of digital tools and inspiring content to help people create a home they love. Love it. You know, for someone who is a renter right now, I find paint one of the most inspiring things that can just change a space, but it can be overwhelming to go into those stores. So I think it's genius that you've started, Claire. Why paint though? You know, there's so many different products that you touch when you're an interior designer. How did you grow to zero in on paint? Yeah, I wanted to do something different. Um, if you think about other categories in home, there's a ton of furniture brands, there's a ton of, you know, bedding companies. I wanted to tackle a really big market opportunity. Paint is a $155 billion global industry. So it's a really, really big market. And I was super inspired by some of the other direct-to-consumer brands that came before me, like Warby Parker and Casper and Away Travel. And I think what stood out to me the most about those specific companies is the fact that they took these really unsexy product categories and took these, you know, products that no one would have ever thought twice about beforehand, like luggage, right? Prior to Away, no one really gave much thought to the choice of luggage brand that they that they bought. Um, and I'd say the same goes for paint. People weren't particularly brand loyal to paint companies. They buy paint because, you know, you, you live closer to a Home Depot, you end up buying the brands that they sell. Um, and, and I saw just a big opportunity to create a brand of, that people actually cared about. And I also think that color and paint is such an important part of your home's decor. Um, and it often gets overlooked as one of the important pieces, but it really sets the tone for the vibe of your space. And so just through exploring what the market opportunity looked like and thinking about the kind of impact I could make on the paint industry and, you know, really at the end of the day, solving a, a consumer pain point you know, paint just seemed like the perfect thing. It enabled me to channel all of my design expertise, build a really disruptive direct consumer company in the home space, and also, you know, um, solve a problem for people and, and help them, you know, make their homes beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. So let's take a step back now. It always seems to make so much sense looking at it now, reading your story, all the, all the dots seem to connect. But when you were working 
you were like the head of global PR for major brands. When you were side hustling, you know, what about what you were building made you know that, okay, it's time for me to actually take this on full time and go into the life of an entrepreneur? I think I was just really passionate. Um, you know, the 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 products that I was so quote unquote selling when I was working in PR were not wasn't anything that was saving the world. Um, I wasn't that passionate about fashion or PR. I mean, I love fashion as you know on a personal level, but like not enough to want to retire working in that industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I found myself really unfulfilled in my PR career and I wanted to do something that was personally fulfilling. And so that really was the driving force behind um, changing careers. And I've never been happier. Okay. And do you think, how did your experience as an interior design entrepreneur help you in launching Claire? Because you were doing that for how many years before you started this company? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, if you factor in all the side hustle years, I've been doing interior design for a decade mm-hmm. um, because I started my business on paper. I set up an LLC in 2008 um, and that's the same year that I started my blog, but I, I didn't turn my design company into a full-time business and quit my day job until January of 2013. So it's been you know five years since I took the leap. What were those initial days like when you made that leap because I recently made the leap in December I keep saying recently and and it's it's about to approach a year but it still feels like yesterday what were those learning curves where you're like whoa this is different I mean I I was very prepared I saved a lot of money so that you know if things were slow I would be okay and um but it was definitely a hustle you know like I spent a lot of time trying to find opportunities in television because for, for those of the of your listeners who aren't familiar with, with my career, you know, I was doing interior design, but I was also doing TV. So I was on a TV show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. I was doing morning shows. I was working with brands. I wore many hats. And part of that stemmed from, you know, when I first started dabbling on the side, it was during the recession. And all of my friends that I was making that were interior designers were saying, it's really hard. You know, it's hard to get clients when when there's a recession, no one has extra money to spend on, on a luxury service when, you know, when things are tight. And so what I learned from, 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 you know, sort of those people was like, it's probably really important to diversify your revenue streams. And so I felt like I had many jobs. I wear many hats. And so I'd say the, those early days were really about finding balance and figuring out how to juggle all these different balls in the air. So from getting clients, and trying to figure out, you know, how to execute it on these design projects to like auditioning and like flying to LA to do film something and then like trying to deliver whatever content for a brand. And so it was a lot of just hustling. I never slept, you know, I poured myself into my work, you know, and I think, you know, I had a really exciting career and things moved, you know, I'd say relatively quickly. I mean, if you look at my first year, I didn't, did I make a ton of money? No, but I made a big kind of splash you know, I I think I was really on my way to building a brand. And then every year that went by after that first year got better and better and better. And, um, you know, and I think, so spending that first year was really about kind of laying the foundation for my business and building the brand. And then kind of once all that was established, things kind of took on a life of their own. And, you know, it's still, it doesn't mean I wasn't hustling just as hard, but um, I found a groove and I figured out how to kind of juggle it all. You know, one thing I really admire about you is 
you are kind of the epitome of this quote, you know, lay low and build. Like you said, you started your blog, but you were side hustling for a number of years, building it out before you decided to make that leap and you made a big splash as a result. You have been working on Claire for how long? Like before you actually launched in July of 2018, there was like a year long a year lead and a up, half. a year and a half. Talk to us about that yeah. process. What steps were you taking at that point to figure out how to build this business? Yeah. So to say I'm going to launch a paint company to compete with the likes of fill in the blank, you know, the Sherwin Williams and the Benjamin Moores of the world, that's, that's a very ambitious goal. Right. And so, um, you know, I knew it was going to require a lot of capital. Um, manufacturing any physical product is expensive, but when you think about like this particular category, it's a, it's a, um, it's chemical products. It's heavy. It's there's a lot of logistics involved. It's it's very almost like industrial. It's not like you know making clothes or something. And so, I knew that I just had so much to learn. So the early days when I really committed myself to this idea, it was in January of 2017. And you know, I thought about the idea of Claire. Um, the spring prior. So from spring 2016 to the beginning of 2017, I spent all my time just thinking about the idea and I kept coming back to it and I was really busy doing other things with my other business. But anytime I would have a lull and be thinking about what what's next, I would, I would think about this idea. So you fast forward to January, 2017, new year, new you. I'm like, what am I going to do this year? And I came back to this idea and I said it was now or never. And so I decided to take a, a what, what at the time was meant to be a temporary risk and like, let me just kind of pause on business for a few months and see what I can make of this and do the diligence. Because once I started diving into the market research and the market dynamics, I just felt like um, I had so much to learn. And if I was busy hustling, like, like I normally am, I would never give this the time of day, which is what happened in 2016 when I was just super busy with other things and just kept thinking about it. So I said, unless I fully commit and mm-hmm. go all in, I won't know what, what could come of it because, you know, I need the time to give the full due diligence. So I spent a ton of time researching, talking to anybody and everybody that would listen, um, learning about paint formulations and manufacturing and all the while knowing that I would need to raise capital. So also trying to learn the ins and outs of raising venture, venture funding and all the things that I would need to do to prepare for that. And I was just kind of grinding and talking to anybody who would listen and learning. And, you know, I'd I'd say by like the early fall, I started, uh, you know, all of our manufacturing partners and supplier relationships were starting to gel. Um, I had done a lot of the research on, um, or, or not research, but I'd done a lot of the work towards fundraising. So I built a pitch deck and I had a financial model and all those things. And so then I'd say the last quarter of the year was spent um, going out to investors and um, and pitching my idea. And then, you know, at the end of the year, we closed our, I closed a $2 million seed round. And then January uh, was really hit the ground running. So my round closed around the holidays. So not much activity really happened then. But mm-hmm. after the new year, it was like full on execution mode. And so from the top of this year to our launch in July, I was building my team, building the business, closing contracts with all of our partners, you know, and just really putting all the plans in place to get launched. And we launched on July 31st and it's been amazing so far. Now, I would love to break down that process of fundraising a bit because it's challenging, right? Black women um, have a hard time raising 
And I'm curious if were you targeted in your approach to venture capital funds? Were you going after ones that were specifically cater to women of color as they're, you know, now we have the New Voices Fund. We have obviously Arlen Hamilton's fund. How did you approach this process? Yeah, I mean, I wish there were enough funds to cater to women of color to only have to do that. But no, no, I just went out. I went out to all the top consumer investors. You know, I didn't really like... I didn't really think about myself in a box. I thought about myself as another founder with a brilliant business idea and the ability to execute. And, you know, I'm going to reach all of the best possible investors that can help me set myself and my company up for success. And that was really my thought process. You know, the statistics around Black women in venture funding are sad and unfortunate. And, you know, I'm really happy that I can be an example of what a successful fundraising process is. But I will say that, like, people tend to put so much emphasis on fundraising and how much money someone raised, but that doesn't matter. What really matters is how you build your business and how you execute, you know, on the promises that you make to your investors and, you know, how you spend that money is more important than, like, getting that money. Did you have any mentorship along the way? with this because we're all smart enough to go and dig into this research and do a lot of this on our own. But, you know, there's no replacement for also having someone who you can kind of practice your pitch with. You know what I mean? Like you can um, get feedback on your deck from. Absolutely. I mean, I know I happen to know some other founders who have built successful businesses, one of whom is another black woman who has an amazing business. Her name is Jean Brownhill and her company is called Sweeten. And they're a company that helps match um, homeowners up with contractors when they're looking to renovate their, their homes. And Jean has been really successful in raising capital for her company. They're doing really well. And she was so kind and generous with her time um, to sit down and go over my material materials and give me feedback and help me think through the process. Um, and then there were other people just like her that were also really helpful to me, you know, as I was fundraising, whether that was making intros to other investors or sitting down and giving me feedback. Um, it definitely takes a village and like, I would have never gotten where I am without the help of others because no one knows how to, if, if it's your first time raising venture capital, no one knows what they're doing. So you've got to rely on the advice and support of others to kind of navigate the process. And um, so, so yeah, I definitely okay. tapped into other resources. I love to hear yeah. that. I love hearing about the support and, you know, the community that you can reach out to someone like not everyone or sometimes a cold email is not going to work, but you just keep trying. And there are people who are willing to help. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You wanna know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial, and my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now 
Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. Tell me if you've ever had this experience. You go to find an everyday nude in the beauty aisle and everything makes your lips look dry and ashy. Thanks to Mented, that is no longer our ministry. Mented, short for pigmented, is an upscale cosmetics brand focused on everyday beauty for women of color. For a while, I convinced myself that nude must mean something else for me. It must mean dusty beige because that is all I ever saw in the beauty aisle. But I can now say goodbye to that lie thanks to Mented's mauve over color. It literally matches my God-given lip color. Mented's multifaceted nudes were crafted with our melanin in mind. And I love Mented so much that I have one of their lip colors in each of the three bags I wear the most so that I always know that I have one on deck. And Mented doesn't just make lipstick. Their glosses are perfect for women who want more sheen. And their everyday eyeshadow palette is so bomb, it sold out four times and had a 2,000-person wait list. Luckily, it's back in stock, though. And also lucky, Side Hustle Pro listeners get 15% off of all their Mented purchases. Just head over to mentedcosmetics.com slash sidehustle or use code sidehustle at checkout. Again, that's mentedcosmetics.com slash sidehustle or use code sidehustle at checkout to enjoy 15% off your purchase. So let's talk about something else you touched on was, okay, it's not so much about the money that you raise. And I really try to not emphasize VC on this show. You know, a lot of people, it's really sexy right now and people get caught up in numbers. But let's talk about the business and how you were able to demonstrate that this is a business. This is not just an idea on a pitch deck in your head. You know, this is something that is going to make money. Were you making money at this point? How did you demonstrate that they were going to get a return on their investment? Yeah, I mean, no, we definitely weren't weren't making money. We were pre-launch. We didn't have a product. There was no website. I didn't have a team. At that stage, you know, it's it's, it's two different types of, I think, fundraising too. Like I raised pre-launch, pre-product, right? So you can raise pre-product or you can raise post-product once you've launched and you already have a little bit of traction. Raising pre-product is a lot different because you're essentially just selling your vision and investors are betting on you, right? They're not betting on necessarily, yes, they're, they're, investing in the market opportunity as well, but they're really betting on the founder. And so my focus, as I think anyone in, at, at a pre-product phase is, is really just selling your vision. And so I went in with this vision for how I was going to build this company and, you know, all the proof points I had for like, you know, I've got suppliers, I've got a real plan. I mean, we had one of our innovations are our peel and stick color samples, which I talked about at the top of the show. And so I had samples of those. Um, but uh, so I think that was helpful. It was literally the only physical thing um, <laughs> I, I had to show, but it is really all about your vision. Um, and that's what investors are betting on when, when they're, um, when they're doing a pre-product funding. And to touch a little bit again on, you know, the differentiation piece. So you mentioned the peel and stick, but how were you able to convey, you know, what else is different? What is Claire's unique value proposition? I think it's really about talking about how you're solving a problem, right? If you know that a lot of people have a problem and no one is solving it, 
that's when you've got an opportunity. And so for me in my career as both a designer and a blogger, and even in my work on TV, I would always be dealing with people who were struggling with this process of painting um, and shopping for paint. And, you know, friends and friends of friends were always hitting me up whenever they were needing to paint and needed help picking a color. And I think the number one pain point was just that the color selection was overwhelming. And so people needed so much help and guidance. I had a friend tell me it took her two months to, to, to pick a paint color. And in the end, she hated it. Wow. You know, <laughs> and, you know, that, and when you hear enough of those sort of cries for help over and over again, and you see so many people literally, like when I say the struggle is real with the old school way of paint shopping, like, you know, when you when you see that over and over, you know that there's a real problem to solve in a market that's huge. Um, mm-hmm. That's really all you need. Um, and so with Claire, you know, we're, we're solving a real problem. And I think that really resonated with investors. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as you were speaking, I just thought about I just saw a tweet today from somebody born. I don't know when who was like. You know, real question, how did you guys listen to singles before there was streaming and, you know, Apple Music and all of that? And, you know, this person was dead (laughs) serious. Like the concept of a single on a CD was just like, that seems wasteful. But, you know, there'll be a day when people will say, well, how did you guys test out your paint colors, you know, before Claire? Like, (laughs) did you really, you know, go into a store and try to... So anyway, I can That's see so it. That's so funny. Now, <laughs> what happened next? Now, you raised funds. Like you said, it was towards the holiday time. So talk about um, now you have these suppliers and, you know, getting getting the ball rolling. Like, do you actually receive a physical check from all these people and then you start paying suppliers? Like, what, what's the process? Yeah, they just the day it's it's a closing, just like closing on a house. Um, so it's it's a financing. Essentially, they're financing your company in the same way that like if you're buying a house, the bank is financing your purchase of your home. So there's a closing, you sign all the docs. And then like, you know, within a couple weeks or actually technically all in the same day, everybody wires the money into the bank. So because these are much larger, quote unquote check sizes, even though we refer to them as, as checks, it's, it's technically a, a wire transfer. And so it's, it's as simple as that. Like once you close, um, the money gets wired and you're off to the races. And so, um, I think all the money hit the bank like a week or so before Christmas. And so nothing really happened at that time. No one was really operating during the week of Christmas into New Year's. So I think it was like January the 3rd when I was like home from visiting my, fa- back from visiting family or whatever I was doing for the holidays. And from that day forward, it was like, I think the first day post New Year's, I met with a broker to help me find um, an office space. And I'd started recruiting a little bit even before closing the round. And so I was making an offer to my first employee and I was telling my suppliers I'm ready to ready to rock and, you know, getting those contracts done. And, you know, there's a lot that has to happen in between, you know, yeah. but that, that was kind of the process. With something like paint. So you have a fixed number of colors, right? Are you literally going through these colors with your suppliers, like visiting them? Is it something where you have a warehouse and you've gone through and like made sure that all the samples match what's in the can and all of that? Yeah, no. So the process isn't quite like that, but we worked on our color, color selection and color formulations for probably 
four or five months. Um, it, it actually takes a long time, number one, to edit down the colors. So I talked about how like the number one pain point is that there's too many colors. A, a typical brand has 3,000 colors. And so we wanted to, my goal was to have as few colors as possible that would serve most people's needs, right? So I thought about every use case in a home. What are all the colors you need for a bedroom, a bathroom, painting a baby's room, whatever, like all of those things. And I started narrowing down by color family, um, uh, the options. Um, and so the process, we started with about 600 color formulas and we narrowed those down to 55. So that process took a while. And then once we, once I finalized the colors, then, you know, you, you kind of do some work to figure out your finishes and there's a whole process of, you know, we had to then produce our color samples. So the peel and stick color samples had to be, you know, very precisely color matched and, um, you know, so it was a lot of like back and forth working with um, color formulators and uh, making tweaks. So we get to a color and then it's like, oh, let's make it a little cooler or a little, you know, a little more this or whatever. And so it was a lot of like iterations and tweaking and um, and then the production process, you know, involves a lot of like validation to make sure that your colors are what they are supposed to look like. Now, as someone who is multi-passionate and has reinvented herself a few times, what happens now with Nicole Gibbons, the interior designer? Is that now that part of you now shelved? Is your blog now shelved or will you still merge the two? Yeah, well, I like to say that I'm a retired interior designer, but I get to channel all, <laughs> all my expertise uh, as a designer through Claire. And then as it relates to the blog, I mean, I haven't blogged in a bajillion years, it feels like. Uh, but, you know, I keep saying I'll just use it as a personal diary. But and I, and I hope to. I have best intentions to pop in on the blog and write things here and there. But the, the reality is, is that being a startup CEO is very full-time, 24-7, nonstop, intense, um, the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And it leaves me with little free time to, to, to do other things, unfortunately. But um, I think one, I'm also still in the phase where kind of like I talked about when I was my first year running my design business full-time, just figuring out the balance. You know, my life is a 180 from where it used to be. Um, running a venture back mm -hmm. company is very different than running a small business and the expectations are different. And so um, I'm still figuring out how to, how to balance it all um, and also still have a life. <laughs> so mm -hmm, I think, mm -hmm. I think once I reach the point of like finding better balance, maybe I'll be able to pick up the blog and, you know, kind of yeah. check in there. But Which reminds me, you know, as someone who, when you're successful in one lane and you have people like Oprah who are, you know, big fans of your work, what makes you say, hey, I want to now take on more work. <laughs> I want to make my life even harder. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Who am I? Like, why do I make these? No, it's it's just it's passion. You know, yeah. to be 100 with you, like when I was running my design firm, I wasn't like, incredibly fulfilled by the work that I was doing. What I, what I really wanted to do is focus in on one thing and do one thing really well. And I felt like with my design business, I was like over here working on somebody's house renovation. I was over here, you know, auditioning. I was over, you know, I, was, I just felt like I had too many different things and I couldn't give any one thing the, the 110% that I think was needed to really make it grow. So I feel like I was like yeah. doing okay, you know, and I think, you know, my my perception of okay is relative to like maybe what 
what the outside world might think, but like, I, I just felt like I wasn't investing enough in, in any one thing. And so I mm. felt like, you know, that left me with this feeling of like, okay, I'm doing all these things. My business is doing really well. I'm happier do, doing what I was doing than I was working for the man. But I also wasn't doing what I felt was like my calling. I knew it was related to design. You know, I still yeah. love helping people with their homes, but like, I just, I wasn't necessarily getting the kinds of projects or the kinds of clients that I really felt like, you know, I needed. And I wasn't, um, you know, there were just a lot of things that I was maybe a little dissatisfied with. And so I was always thinking about what more I could do and what, what might be next. And my goal was always to build a brand. My goal was, you know, really, I've always admired the Martha Stewart business model. And so it was really always to parlay my design expertise and my aesthetic into something greater. And so I'm doing that now. And so that's, this, it's essentially. This Absolutely. You now. are. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about legacy building. Now, if someone who's listening to this, who has, uh, affinity for design aesthetics and also would like to one day build out a product and um, a larger brand, what would you say to them? Like, are there things you wish you had studied in school or taken the time to learn more about now that you are where you are? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think a lot of creators, right. People who are creative tend to not be so great at business. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're looking to build a product and, and do something, and I think, I think when I hear about people in their passion projects, you know, the, so often they're very creative businesses. So I would say like, make sure that you, um, have a good foundation in business. Um, you know, uh, like I didn't, I don't have an MBA. I didn't go to, you know, I didn't go to business school. I never worked. I've always worked in creative industries. And so I think, you know, having a deeper level of expertise in finance and business is really, really helpful when you're building a business. That's not to say that you can't without it. Um, you know, you just got to bring in all the right people to fill in those expertise gaps. But I think when you, um, have a little bit of both left and right brain, I, I think you're at a greater advantage than if you're just creative. So I okay. think sharpen up your business acumen. Yeah, very, very good advice. And speaking of bringing in the right people as a venture back company, how do you balance wanting to, you know, be very careful, very diligent with how you spend money and bringing in the right team, like making sure you're hiring slowly and only hiring the right people so you're not wasting money? Yeah. So I think that is a really good question. Um, one advantage, we can call it an advantage and some people might call it a disadvantage is I don't have a co-founder. So I'm a solo founder, which, which can be tough. It can be really challenging. But because there's no co-founder also taking a salary, it, le it left me with a little bit more freedom you know, and flexibility for hiring, you know, we're a tiny team, we're five people. And for the first, I don't know, four months or so, we were just two people. It was me and my first employee. And then I hired an MBA student um, as an intern. And, you know, and then we didn't grow the team for another couple months. So we've been really scrappy. I think since May to now, I've hired three new people. And, you know, and so now, yeah, now we're a team of five and, you know, so we're still s small and scrappy, but I think small, scrappy, taking your time. Yeah. But just making sure that like, oh, I really hired first for the expertise gaps. Like I hired people who knew way more about really important things that 
are critical to running this business um, than I did. And so that's really, um, you know, kind of where I focus my time. So like, you know, supply chain and, you know, other, other kind of key functions. So, okay. Yeah. I like that, that you bring up that phrase expertise gaps. Yes. So, so crucial that, you know, you focused on that first. That's very helpful. I'm sure for everyone listening. Yeah. Now, what has been the biggest blunder that you've made in this process since starting Claire? What's something that you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've done that. Any Anything that like could be classified as a blunder, it's really all about your mindset and how you perceive those quote unquote blunders. I look at everything as a learning opportunity. Um, yes. But like when you are pre-launch, right? You don't have any customers. You don't really know what's going to happen when you launch. You can only make assumptions. And so sometimes your assumptions are different than what you think they, they're going to be. And you learn from that and you figure out how to, how to solve for, you know, whatever the discrepancies are. But, you know, I look at this whole process as a journey. I don't have all the answers, but I've got a really strong team and myself and my team, we're all really smart people and, and we are figuring it out. And I think that's what an early stage startup is all about. It's about problem solving. You need to ha- have people who can take a problem and figure out how to solve it. And so those blenders or whatever all can be figured out. And so that's kind of how I look at it. I look at this as one giant crash course in everything, <laughs> running a business, manufacturing, yes. paint. Like we're all, no one on my team has ever worked at a paint startup before, right? Like including me. Right, so right. like, you know, we're all <laughs> just kind of, you know, um, putting our heads together to, 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 you know, strategize around how to build and grow this business. Yes. As one of my former guests once said, and I think everyone kind of echoes this theme, like no one knows what they're doing. Like you, 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 you learn and you do get expertise and you do get knowledge in certain areas. But as you enter into new frontiers, like we're all learning and yeah. that's OK. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I talk to other founders all the time who tell me who are su- super successful now and who who seem super successful in the in the beginning. And then when you talk to them, they're like, I had no clue what I was doing, but we figured it out, you know, and so we're just in that same same phase. I love it. And I can tell you that it is it is comforting, it's reassuring, and it's inspiring to hear. So keep doing what you're doing and, you know, be transparent enough to let us know that because it makes me want to support you you more, you know? Like, yeah. I, I know how hard that must be to, you know, never... Ha- you've never run a paint, co- paint manufacturing company before, and here you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's such a good idea. So, all right. Now we are going to jump into the lightning round. So you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Uh, I'm as ready as I can be. Okay, ready as you'll ever be. Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Um, friends who have been there before. Um, anyone who's been in my shoes as an early stage founder knows a ton more than I do. And so I go to people for advice weekly. Um, you know, how did you do this? How did you solve this problem? You know, like I, I touched on this earlier, but I, I don't think I would have gotten here without the support and guidance from people who are far more seasoned uh, than I am. And so, yeah, lean on, lean on your people, find your tribe and yes. uh, use them as your best resource. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode or live event that you've attended? 
So I love listening to podcasts. Um, and I think a couple of favorites are Masters of Scale, which is the podcast from Reed Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn, and then How I Built This. And both kind of have similar premises, but they follow the journey of someone who's built a really incredible business. So like, you know, they, they'll talk to, you know, the founders of, you know, everyone from a company like Netflix to like, you know, maybe startups who are a lot earlier, like, um, you know, Morty Parker or something like that. And so I just love um, hearing about other people's journey because I'm on the beginning of my journey. And so I learned so much from listening to these stories of, of other founders and how they built their companies and all the challenges they've had along the way. Number three, who is a Black woman entrepreneur that you would want to trade places with for a day and why? Okay, so she's not exactly someone that people would perceive as an entrepreneur, but she absolutely is one. And my answer is Beyonce, because (laughs) I love that she calls all the shots in every aspect of her career. Um, She is someone who has so much power in what she's doing that like everybody marches to the beat of her drum and not the other way around. Um, You know, she does what Beyonce wants to do and everybody's just got to get on board. And I love that. Um, And, you know, people see her in her music, but I don't think they realize like the extent to which how she's built an incredible business. Um, she's way more than just an entertainer. And then beyond that, she's just fierce. So I would love to be her Hello. for a day and like be <laughs> Sasha Fierce slash Beyonce. Um, Cause I think that yes. would be so fun. Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Uh, meditation. Um, I have never been, I, I hate using this word busy, but I've never been busier in my entire life. Um, as I am right now, I'm pulled in many different directions. I have so many multiple competing priorities all the time. And when, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. And when things get overwhelming, it's, you know, I have like most people, I have a tendency to get a little foggy. And so meditation just keeps my mind clear um, and keeps me focused. And so I'll do, um, you know, a 10 minute or 15 minute meditation every morning. Um, I'm trying to work my way up to 20 minutes, but any little bit is better than none. And it's been really, really helpful for having a clear mind and, and focus throughout the day. All right. And then lastly, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? I would say, don't be afraid to take risks. Um, I think the biggest risk is not taking any risks. You know, you might lose out on a paycheck, but the upside that you can gain from doing something that has incredible potential and being successful at it is uh, way more valuable than a paycheck that you might've missed. And when you think about some of the greatest successes in business, it's been come from people who've taken risks. Nothing ever gets handed to anybody. You've got to go out and you got to work hard. You got to hustle. You got to go outside your comfort zone um, and be bold and push the boundaries um, and not be afraid to fail. Amen. What a perfect note to end on. So Nicole, where can people connect with you after this episode and also check out Claire? Um, Well, you can check out Claire at Claire.com. We'd love for you guys to think of us whenever you need to paint your home. Um, It's C-L-A-R-E.com. You can also follow us on social at Claire Paint. Um, And you can follow me on Instagram at Nicole Gibbon Style. All right. And I will link to all of these in the show notes, guys. And there you have it. Hey guys, 
Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.